This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut, Tuesday morning, May the 18th, 2021. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call. A beautiful day again in the Northeast, headed to 80 degrees again today. Gotta love it. Um, Great uh, stuff to talk about. The Boston Bruins with a great effort last night in the uh, NHL playoffs, so we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, Red Sox had the night off, um, but uh, Albert Pujols made his debut for the Dodgers last night. That was fun to watch. I stayed up uh, to watch his first couple of at-bats as a Dodger, uh, so we'll talk about that as well. Uh, before we get to uh, the sports stuff, interesting here in the state of Connecticut, uh, there's been a lot of talk around the country, um, and, and you've probably, at least I know here in Connecticut, and I'm sure it's this way, at least according to what I read, all over the country, there's help wanted signs everywhere and uh, having trouble getting people that want to go back to work um, for for whatever reason, you know, gotten used to staying home or, you know, whether the, uh, the, the coronavirus concerns are still part of it or not or, uh, you know, who knows? A, a lot of people think it's the extra money that the government has provided uh, on a, unemployment and is stopping people from going back to work. Well, here in the state of Connecticut, uh, they are going to uh, try something different. The first 10,000 people uh, that are considered long-term unemployed, that's somebody who's been unemployed for at least two months, um, 10,000 of those people that go back to work will be given a $1,000 bonus by the state of Connecticut. Now, you have to uh, go back to work. You have to stay on your new job for, I think it is, eight weeks to qualify uh, for the thousand dollar bonus, but uh, the state is trying to do everything it can to get people to go back to work. The federal government now um, is is still providing an extra three hundred dollars a week in supplemental unemployment benefits, uh, and some governors are doing away with that because they think that's part of the problem. You know, there, there's no incentive to go back to work when you're getting your unemployment benefits plus three hundred dollars um, a week. So people don't want to go back to work. Um, And the other thing that is happening here in the state of Connecticut is now the state is going, while the pandemic was going on, you didn't have to look for work while you were collecting unemployment. Well, that is going to end as well. People will have to uh, start looking for work again. If you want to, uh, if you want to collect, you gotta, you gotta show a good faith effort that you are still trying to get a job. Um, you know, that's that's long been a requirement all over the country. So that's been relaxed. So anyway, uh, as we get to tomorrow, the mask mandate here in the state of Connecticut uh, ends, um, at least for vaccinated people. And, uh, you know, you're, you know, some stores are still 
requiring you to wear a mask. There's no, you know, the it's it's a, such a tricky situation. We've talked about this. You know, my my wife said, like with the Home Depot, is you know they want people to wear masks, but they don't have any teeth. They can't tell you you're not going to come in. You can't come in. All they can do is if you come in without a mask, they'll offer you one, and if you say no, then you know it is what it is. Um, so, uh, and it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that all shakes out, but that all ends here on the uh, 19th, which is tomorrow. Uh, one other thing that happened here in the state of Connecticut, kind of sports related, kind of not, but, um, the university of Hartford was having one of its graduations, um, this Saturday, this past Saturday, it was the, uh, uh, the college of education, nursing and health professions. Uh, which is one of several commencements that University of Hartford has. So they had that on Saturday. Well, the University of Hartford president, Greg Woodward, had to leave the ceremony early. Well, he didn't have to, but he chose to. Why? Because he was getting booed unmercifully by a bunch of the students there because of the decision that he spearheaded with the Board of Regents to drop the university from Division One status to Division Three status as far as college athletics go. Uh, there was a video that was shown during the ceremony that uh, I saw on social media, and people were just booing the hell out of him. Um, as soon as he stepped up to the lectern to make his, his remarks about the graduating class, and he decided to not give that address, and he left. Uh, in a statement, the... Uh, uh, the university said that, uh, you know, unfortunately, some attendees chose to use this moment to focus attention elsewhere by shouting and sharing language as they cross the stage that has no place in any academic ceremony. Uh, it was clear there were going to be continued interruptions from some members of the audience during the events. Uh, so the president excused himself to allow the spotlight to remain where it belonged on our graduates. Um, look, you know, I, I get you know, it's, you know, perhaps not the appropriate place to have your protest. However, you know, if you are uh, one of these students at the University of Hartford and you are angry, you don't have another way to really vent that where it's going to be noticed. You know, you can have the, your little protests outside his office or whatever, but this is a time, this is like one of the few times you're going to have to be able to make a public statement that he can't run away from. And in, in effect, what happened in this situation was the president blinked and he left. Um, you know, should he have stayed there and fought it out? Probably not. I mean, I, I get where he was coming from as well. You know, there were some students there that didn't deserve that to have their their graduation uh, ruined, so to speak, by that. But I also understand the frustration and I think that these students felt they had no other choice. And I guarantee you when the regular undergraduate uh, commencement comes for the other parts of the University of Hartford, we're probably going to see the same thing. You know, I mean, and again, you can't, you can't blame these kids for being frustrated. We, we've seen how angry people are about it. The alumni are like, yeah, we're not, uh, you know, we're not going to give money to the school anymore. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that for the people that were graduating that day, they had to listen to the booze. But, you know, I, I understand. I do understand. Uh, so uh, it'll be, again, you know, Greg Woodward said, well, I'm out of here. Um, and there have been calls for him to resign. That's not going to happen, I don't think. Um, but who knows? Uh, you know, perhaps 
And, and I think that's probably the hope of these students. They are hoping that the public embarrassment of having people booing the university president at a commencement will get the Board of Regents to rethink their decision to drop to Division Three athletics. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I doubt it. But I'm sure it's it's probably their best shot. The only other way you get them to change their mind is if fundraising for the university completely dried up because you made that decision. And I don't think that's going to happen. Yes, the, the people that don't care whether it's Division One or Division Three athletics are going to donate to the university regardless. And the number of people ver- you know, for athletics fundraising versus general fundraising for the university, uh, my guess is the general fundraising outpaces the athletic fundraising. By usually by a large margin at just about every university. So uh, it was a very uh, public embarrassment for the president. We'll see what happens for the other undergraduate commencements for the university as they go along. But uh, again, I understand both sides of the coin. And if I were an undergraduate student, I probably would have booed too. I mean, I was involved in the fabric of my college athletics when I was in school a million years ago. So I think if my school had made a decision to devalue the athletics program, I probably would have had the same reaction. I'm pretty sure I would have, especially back all the way back then. I almost guarantee it. Um, Bob Baffert, the uh, trainer who uh, was the trainer for Medina Spirit, who of course was uh, disqualified, or at least it looks like it's going to be disqualified from the Kentucky Derby and finished third in the Preakness this past weekend, has been suspended by the New York racetracks, uh, including Belmont Park, where the Belmont Stakes are coming up uh, in two weeks. And uh, it also includes Aqueduct and Saratoga. And he is not going to be allowed to house any of his horses there or enter any horses into any races at those racetracks, at least for the time being. They said that they are doing it um, until the results uh, of the whole thing with Medina Spirit come out. Uh, They said they also took into account his previous penalties in Kentucky and California and Arkansas. Um, And so we'll see. Now, Medina Spirit had to undergo extra testing before the Belmont. I think that uh, the horse had three tests along with Baffert's other horse that was entered in that race. They all came up clean. Um you know, and, and again, it was kind of strange how Baffert one day, so I don't know how it happened. And then, you know, a day later through his attorney, it's like, well, we think it was this cream that we used for dermatitis. You know, oh, geez, funny how that happens. Uh, so as of right now, no Baffert uh, horses will be in the Belmont Stakes. Yeah. You know, and do I care? No. I'm not a big horse racing fan. But for those people that are into horse racing, having the guy who is perhaps the most decorated trainer in the history of horse racing uh, banned from one of the Triple Crown races. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. So, All right, uh, hockey last night. Boston Bruins uh, with a win, and it was a win they had to have. First two games were in Washington. Before they returned to Boston for two more, they had to split those games in Washington to give themselves a chance. And uh, they looked like they were in trouble last night. Um, matter of fact, they look like they were in trouble from the drop of the opening, uh, face off 
Washington in the first three minutes of the game outshot the Bruins eight to one. Tuka Rask must have felt like he was in some kind of a uh, amusement park shooting gallery. He was great. He saved the Bruins bacon in that first few minutes when uh, Washington came out and just it was shot after shot after shot. Um, and if he gives up a goal or two there, this game ends up completely different. Uh, but fortunately, he held his ground. And at the end of 20 minutes, even despite being outshot 8-1 to one in the first three minutes, the Bruins really picked it up after that. And at the end of the first period, um, the shots were even at 18 apiece. This was a blistering pace in the first period. You knew that couldn't continue because at that pace, uh, the t- each of the teams was going to have over 50 shots in the game. I mean, as it was, uh, there were a lot. I mean, I think uh, uh, Craig Anderson, the goaltender for the uh, uh, Capitals last night, made 38 saves. Tuka Rass made 36 for the Bruins. Um, but uh, Brad Marsh on 39 seconds into overtime with the goal, and the Bruins get the win. And Marshawn had not had a great game. Marshawn had actually taken a couple of bad penalties. And uh, on one of the penalties, it resulted in a Washington Capitals power play goal. You know, Marshawn is a guy that likes to get under the skin of of opponents. And uh, there was at one point last night, he was involved in a bit of a a dust-up with one of the Capitals players. And uh, he kind of speared him in the the groin with the uh, butt end of his stick. Uh, Got two minutes for that. Um, And, uh, you know... He does that, but he atoned for that early play by uh, scoring the overtime goal, so uh, it was huge. But, uh, of course, the biggest goal for the Bruins was uh, Taylor Hall with a goal with uh, 2.49 left in regulation that tied the game up and sent it into overtime so that the Bruins could win it 4-3 in that extra session. Hall uh, hadn't had a great game. But this is a guy that, since he has come over in the trade from the Buffalo Sabres, has been huge for the Bruins. And it's a guy that is a former MVP in this league, you know, and uh, has struggled. But but then again, everybody struggles in Buffalo. Buffalo stinks, you know. But now you put him on a team with a lot of talent, and he's starting to show some of that old form. And the Bruins are already talking about they want to – his contract's up at the end of the year. This was kind of a – you know, a rental trade. They are already talking about wanting to uh, extend his contract and keep him in Boston, and Hall seems to like that idea. It was a team that he always said he wanted to play for in the past, uh, so hopefully uh, they'll be able to keep him there. But a big goal for him uh, with 249 left in regulation to send it into the extra period. So now the two teams return back to the Garden, and uh, it is going to be interesting as well because – Yesterday, it was announced that as of May 29th that you can have full capacity at venues in Massachusetts. So if they get to uh, the next round of the playoffs, they could have a full house against either the Islanders or the Penguins, which would be tremendous. We all know what what kind of a, a rocking place that is when uh, when the Garden is full. So if they can get past the Capitals and get into that second round, have the full house, I think it's going to be a huge home ice advantage 
for the Boston Bruins. But they've got to take care of business first. Tuka Rask has to continue to play the way he has, and uh, there's no signs that he won't. Uh, and they've got to stop taking penalties. You know, the problem is, is that this is a Washington team that is very, very physical. And they try to bait you into taking penalties. You know, and they try to get under your skin and get you pissed off so that you do something uh, that ends you up in the box. And that's exactly what happened to Brad Marchand yesterday. Uh, so they're going to have to guard against that. What was funny last night, Tom Wilson, the biggest, uh, one of the, the, well, the, the dirtiest player in the NHL, um, last night got a penalty. And I, I, you don't see this called very often, but he got a penalty for embellishment. What does that mean? Well, there was, you know, there was some contact and it was a penalty uh, coming up against uh, the Bruins. But Wilson made it look like he had practically been decapitated. He, you know, uh, you know, wheeled the arms. Oh, my God. And then, you know, did this big flop onto the ice. It's kind of a lot what you see when you watch a soccer game and you'll there'll be some contact, you know, slight contact during a soccer game and a guy goes down like somebody shot him. Well, this is that's exactly uh, what Wilson did yesterday, and uh, he got a two-minute penalty for that as well. So it ended up being a wash for the Bruins, thank goodness. But, hey, you know, uh, it, it's something that they put in to stop guys from flopping and trying uh, to draw whistles, and uh, the referees called it. Uh, as you can well imagine, the fans in Washington not happy with that call at all, uh, but uh, it was the right call. So... Uh, so the Bruins now one one game apiece, and uh, they will return to the Boston Garden on uh, Wednesday for game number three of that series. Uh, big game tonight for the Boston Celtics, I guess. Uh, the Celtics, who are now in the playoff or the play-in series against the Washington Wizards. Uh, it's one game. If the Celtics win, they become the seven seed in the playoffs, and they will end up facing the Brooklyn Nets uh, in the first round. Good luck with that. Um, If they lose, they aren't done. They will then have to play a second play-in game against the loser of the uh, other other play-in game that happens tonight as well. Now, the Wizards and the Celtics played three times during the regular season. The Celtics won two out of the three. But, of course, you know, the Celtics now don't have Jalen Brown, who is out for the season with that wrist injury, so they're going to need other guys to step up. The good news uh, is that they're relatively healthy. Marcus Smart's calf is okay. Evan Fournier is good to go. Uh, practice yesterday. Uh, Robert Williams, who has been dealing with that turf toe and had a cortisone injection, uh, he practiced yesterday. He's good to go uh, tonight. Kemba Walker's ready to roll. Kemba Walker has scored a lot of points down the stretch. He's picked up a lot of the slack when Brown got hurt. They're going to need him to do that tonight uh, if they're going to get past the uh, uh, the Washington Wizards. Game is 9 o'clock tonight, and, uh, you know, the Celtics finished the regular season 36-36, and 36, even if they win this game. They're not beating the Brooklyn Nets, not without Jalen Brown. You know, with with that loaded lineup, with Kyrie Irving and you know James Harden, they're not beating that team. Um, but you know, I mean, I guess it's at this point, if you're a Celtics fan, uh, it is the best that you can hope for. So uh, nine o'clock tonight, and uh, 
the Bruins tried, or excuse me, the Celtics uh, try to keep their hopes alive. You know, this is a t- I mean, this is it's frustrating. This is a team that was two games away from the NBA Finals last year, and this year has been an absolute train wreck. And Danny Age in an interview uh, the other day with Dan Shaughnessy in the Boston Globe has promised changes in the offseason, but he has said that Brad Stevens is coming back. So Brad Stevens will not be one of the changes. So for those of you that think the coach is the problem, uh, he's coming back. Danny Ainge has made that clear. And they're not going to trade Jalen Brown, and they're not going to trade uh, uh, Jason Tatum. So what does that mean? I mean, who goes? What other changes are they going to be able to make? You know, that is the big question. You know, does it mean that a guy like Kemba Walker could be on the move? Yes, it's possible, you know, depending on what you can get for him. And, you know, the problem is is, is he, he's got a big salary cap hit. So uh, the salary cap in the NBA makes it difficult sometimes to move uh, big names. But uh, we'll see, you know, but Ainge has to do something. You know, he, even the trades that he made um, at the deadline were not exactly the impactful trades that, uh, Celtic fans were hoping for. Now, Evan Fournier is a fine player, you know, and, and you know, they kind of got some bad breaks there with Fournier right after the trade. He ends up coming down with the coronavirus, and he misses the better part of three weeks after the trade. So, you know, that was that was a, a bad break, and the Celtics have had a lot of bad breaks all year. If they had stayed healthy all year, you know, maybe things would have been different, but it's the NBA. People don't stay healthy. All, ask LeBron James. You know, he didn't stay healthy all year. It's just, you know, it's one of the things that it's it comes with the territory and the Celtics did not weather it well because it showed that the team just isn't deep enough. And I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if Marcus Smart's one of those guys on the move, Uh, you know, for all his, uh, you know, defensive prowess. He wasn't that great defensively when he came back. Some of it was the injuries. And this is a guy that takes too many shots. He takes a lot of bad shots. He, uh, you know, it's. There's always this this uh, there's this adage where you know know your role, and Marcus Smart is not. I'm not saying Marcus Smart should never try to look to score, but Marcus Smart takes shots sometimes that would be better left uh, to other guys, uh, and I think that he looks for his shot way too much. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the guys that's on the move because I think that his offensive uh, issues have uh, weighed heavily. On Celtics fans, and you know, this is a guy that was was beloved in Boston, and yet I think that uh, the chinks in the armor with the Celtics this year really exposed some of the issues with Marcus Smart, and I think that he's maybe maybe he's worn out his welcome a little bit in Boston. So we shall see. It's twenty eight minutes past the hour. We got to take a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at what happened in baseball last night. Uh, Garrett Cole was on the hill for the Yankees, and it didn't go as well as uh, he had hoped. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country. It's 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake-Up Call here on a Tuesday morning, or as I like to call it, waiting for the plumber day as we wait for uh, uh, the plumber to come to take care of our issues so I can get my dishwasher and my sink back. Uh, I had to eat out the last couple of days. Just, uh, I have, uh, I don't want to go to it. Anyway, uh, the Yankees last night. Uh, Garrett Cole goes to the Hill, a guy who has been uh, pretty close to unhittable this year. Uh, he was very hittable last night. Uh, five innings, seven hits, five runs, gave up two homers. Um, and the Yankees lose to the Texas Rangers 
uh, on the road by a final of 5-2. to two. Jordan Lyles, who came in with an ERA of over 6 for Texas in this game, uh, picked up his second win of the season with six solid innings, uh, just one run given up. He struck out six and allowed six hits. Ian Kennedy uh, picked up his 11th save of the season for the Rangers. So the Yankees fall to 22-19. and 19. Uh, Cole was not sharp last night, um, but what he did do is he – Broke the new broke the record for consecutive strikeouts between walks. Uh, it is a major league record: sixty-one consecutive strikeouts without a walk. Uh, that streak began back on April the twelfth, and uh, it ended when uh, uh, Joey Gallo drew a walk last night in the third inning. So uh, Cole, it is. Uh, Look, I mean, I, I don't care who you are, you know, 61 straight Ks without a walk, that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, the other thing that it does for uh, uh, Cole is uh, it sets a Yankee record uh, for the most strikeouts in a season uh, in the first eight starts. So pretty impressive. Uh, so, But Cole takes it on the chin last night, and uh, he drops to 5-2 and two on the season. Uh, home runs last night for Texas. Uh, Adolis Garcia had his 11th. Uh, Willie Calhoun hit his fifth of the season. Luke Voigt hit his first home run of the season for the Yankees. Of course, he missed uh, most of the year up until a week ago. Uh, had his first last night. It was a solo shot in the eighth inning, kind of a consolation home run. Uh, the other news for the Yankees yesterday is they put uh, John Carlos Stanton, their big slugging left fielder, on the uh, 10-day injured list because of a left quad strain. Uh, and again, you know, the uh, keeping these big guys on the field has been so difficult for the Yankees between Aaron Judge uh, and John Carlos Stanton. One of them always seems to be injured. The number of times that those two guys have actually been in the lineup at the same time since Stanton came to the Yankees is amazingly small. It, it's crazy. But uh, in their record, by the way, when they both play is pretty good. But getting them both on the field at the same time has been uh, damn near impossible. Um, other Yankee news, uh, Zach Britton, their lefty who had elbow surgery to remove a bone chip, um, was making uh, a simulated start uh, with uh, AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre um, and had to leave it uh, after uh, one inning or didn't even finish the inning, he had some soreness in that elbow, so that's a bit of a setback. Uh, he was supposed to start a game for double-A Somerset on Wednesday night, and uh, they hope to maybe get him back uh, in 10 days or so, but now that has been pushed back uh, at least a couple of days as they go in, take a look and reevaluate and make sure there isn't damage in that elbow uh, or if it's just normal soreness and he's just not quite ready yet, so... Uh, a bit of a setback for Zach Britton. Uh, Rudin Odor, who has missed the last 12 games with a left knee sprain, uh, may be back in the lineup as early as tonight for the Yankees. Um, the Red Sox, of course, as I said, had yesterday off. Red Sox were very excited. They had something on their website yesterday, very pumped up uh, that they are going to be able to have uh, full stands at Fenway Park starting on the 29th. That means that they, uh, uh, their matchup against the Miami Marlins on that date 
Um, it's a four o'clock in the afternoon game, and that uh, that could be the first game where we have uh, full capacity at Fenway Park. They did make a move yesterday. Kike Hernandez came off the injured list, and the Red Sox option Jonathan Arauz back to Worcester. Uh, as Kike Hernandez will get back into the Red Sox lineup. He had a hell of a rehab start uh, with Worcester, uh, clubbed a couple of home runs in the game, and then in another game uh, ripped a double, and uh, he looks to be pretty, pretty sharp. And the other guy coming very close to getting to Boston is Danny Santana. Uh, he is going to remain in Worcester through Tuesday, but he could join the Red Sox uh, during this road trip uh, he won't be in Florida for the three games against the Toronto Blue Jays down there, but he may be in Philly for the weekend series um, against the Philadelphia Phillies. That is going to be huge. And I'll tell you what, Danny Santana is a guy that the Red Sox signed late in spring training. They signed him to a minor league deal uh, because he was working his way back from surgery. Uh, and if he comes up, he gets a prorated $1.75 million big league salary. Um, he had a, a foot infection, and uh, but since he has come back and has been able to play in the minors, he's hitting 364 with a couple of homers, a double, and a stolen base in six games uh, with the Red Sox uh, uh, single-A team in Greenville, uh, North Carolina, and their triple-A team in Worcester. He's played short, second, third, left, and center field. So they've moved him around. They're getting ready to bring him back, and that probably means that Franchi Cordero is going to be headed to the minor leagues. Uh, one would think. I would think Cordero and uh, Michael Chavis will both be headed back to Worcester uh, once uh, Christian Arroyo and uh, Danny Santana are ready to go. So more help is on the way for the Red Sox uh, starting this weekend. Uh, the New York Mets last night got things going back in the right direction. Uh, the wheels had kind of come off the Mets as they got swept over the weekend by the Tampa Bay Rays. Well, last night they beat the Atlanta Braves 3-1. to uh, Taiwan Walker pitched the first three innings, was looking great, struck out two, only gave up one hit, and then had to leave the game. He had some issues um, with his side, his left side. It was very similar to the same injury that, that forced uh, Jacob DeGrom out of the lineup. So he goes three scoreless. So they have to go to Sean Reed Foley, a guy they signed as a free agent, um, and he comes in and pitches three perfect innings. He faced uh, nine guys, struck out five of them, no walks, nobody reached base. Uh, Jerice Familia pitched a, a perfect seventh inning, and then uh, uh, May and Edwin Diaz come on for the last two innings, and the Mets get the win. Uh, Max Fried got the start for Atlanta, went the first six, didn't pitch badly, but they got to the Atlanta bullpen, uh, and uh, the Mets win the game. So uh, scary thing for them, Kevin Pillar in the seventh inning had to leave the game. He got hit in the face by a fastball. He was drilled. I'm telling you, it's one of these things you watch it and you get sick. He got hit in the nose by a fastball. Went down in a heap. Uh, I mean, blood everywhere. And obviously left the game. They took him to the hospital. He had a, uh, a CT scan and, uh, you know, he seems to be okay. He uh, went on his Twitter account later on and uh, thanked. He said, I, I, "You know, thanks to everyone that reached out. It's a scary moment, but I'm doing fine." I mean, oh Jesus! I mean, that was one of those things. It's just I was like, just the fact that he was moving. I was like, oh, thank God, you know, um, you know. And that's one of the things that one of the problems. 
and it's probably it's going to become a bigger problem in this day and age with guys that are throwing as hard as they are and they're being encouraged to throw as hard as they can for as long as they can. The problem is, is a lot of these guys, these young kids, don't know where the hell the ball is going. And when you're trying to overthrow and get that extra mile an hour, that's going to happen. We might see a time in the not-too-distant future, and I don't know, you know, I, I don't have any information, but it would not shock me if they start looking into having guys with helmets on with face guards. You see it in Little League where you have, it's almost like, you know, the football face guards where you, you have a cage in front of your face. Now, the, you know, the major leaguers aren't going to like it, and they're going to say, well, you know, it impedes my vision, and yada, yada and, and they're going to be heavier because of that. But we might get to a point if this continues to happen. This is the third time this year I've seen somebody drilled in the face. And we may get to a point where they have to start wearing these things for self-preservation. And the sport might have to do it uh, to stop catastrophic injuries. You know, fortunately, Pilar is okay. But, man, that was a scary, scary moment last night. Uh, So the Mets with the win uh, remain in first place. They are one game up over the Philadelphia Phillies. Atlanta falls three games back. Now three games under 500 uh, as they continue to just try to figure it out. They can't get any kind of rhythm going um, as far as that goes. The good news for the Mets, uh, Noah Syndergaard will make his first minor league rehab appearance Wednesday night. Uh, It'll be at uh, their Class A team down in uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida. Coming back from Tommy John surgery, you could see him within a month. Maybe a little bit sooner, but they're not going to rush Syndergaard, but probably uh, within a month. Uh, Seth Lugo, who is also uh, recovering from surgery to remove a bone chip uh, from his right elbow, is going to pitch at St. Lucie on Tuesday. Um, So uh, good news if you're a Mets fan uh, in that uh, Noah Syndergaard, Thor, is getting closer. Uh, The Mets have not announced their starter for tonight's game. Tucker Davidson is going to... uh, uh, make his 2021 debut Tuesday night. He got called up from uh, their AAA Gwinnett team. Um, he faced, uh, he played one game last year. It was against the Red Sox, and he gave up uh, seven runs in an inning and two-thirds. So it <laughs> didn't go too well. But um, with uh, a couple of games with Gwinnett this year, he was 2-0 and with an 0-6-4 ERA. So uh, uh, he will be brought up tonight to give Charlie Morton an extra day of rest. The other part of it is is that the Braves are dealing with some injuries to that pitching staff. Um, and uh, they were hoping that Mike Soroka may be able to come back. He is dealing with uh, a Achilles tendon surgery. Well, he has had a bit of a setback uh, in his rehab from that as well. They were hoping to get him back this year. There is a good chance now uh, that Soroka does not pitch for the Braves this year, which is going to be a big blow Uh, to their hopes of winning the uh, National League East. Uh, The other thing from the Braves, and uh, along that same line, the young kid, Huskar Yanoa, hit a grand slam in a game, has pitched very, very well, um, is now out for two months. He was 4-2 with a 3.02 ERA. He had the lowest ERA of any starter on the Braves staff. Uh, As a matter of fact, in his previous three starts 
he had allowed before Sunday, he had allowed just one run in three starts. Well, Sunday, he did not pitch very well. He gave up five runs in nine hits in four and a third innings in a loss to the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, he was pissed. So what did he do? He punched the dugout bench and broke his hand. (laughs) So now he gets to miss two months. I mean, just, just stupid. (laughs) Just, you know, I mean, I get the frustration, but you are a pitcher. You make your living with, with your right arm and your right hand and you, You intentionally go out and punch something and make it so that you can't pitch for two months. And, you know, they won't do it. But, man, that's one of those things. If you are the Braves, you'd be going, why am I still going to – why do I still have to pay this guy because he's a dope? I mean, again, young kid, I get it, but good Lord. I mean, that's just uh, unreal. Anyway, it's 45 minutes past the hour. I've got to take another break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. A few minutes left before we get out of here this morning. So Albert Pujols made his debut for the Dodgers last night. I I knew I had to stay up at least to watch the first uh, uh, couple of at-bats, and I did that. Uh, his first time up, he hit the ball right on the screws. Unfortunately, he hit it right at the left fielder, but he hit it right on the button. Matter of fact, he left the bat at like 102 miles an hour or something like that, but uh, he was 0 for 1. Uh, but then comes up uh, in the third inning with two outs and delivers an RBI single up the middle. He ends up going one for four in the game, but uh, uh, Pujols with his uh, three hundred or three thousand two hundred fifty fourth hit and his uh, he's got two thousand one hundred and thirteen RBIs right now. Think about that. That is the second most runs batted in in major league history. So uh, makes a difference right away as he uh, gets the RBI off of uh, Madison Bumgarner. Bumgarner takes the loss uh, in the game last night. The Dodgers win it 3-1. to one. Madison was not very sharp. Uh, just four innings. Uh, he struck out five, but he walked four. He only gave up two hits, but he had thrown a lot of pitches. Uh, he threw 34 pitches in that third inning where Pujols got the RBI single. So uh, Walker Bueller was great for the Dodgers. Seven innings, just one hit. Uh, he did walk four, but no runs, just one hit. And then uh, Kenley Jansen comes on and gets the final four outs to pick up his eighth save of the season. Um, so uh, the Dodgers now 23-18. and 18. They find themselves two games back of the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Arizona uh, continues to struggle. They have now lost seven of the last ten, and they are seven and a half back. Uh, they got off to a pretty good start, but they have faded very, very quickly. Um, the other thing that was interesting last night, there was a story that came out, uh, and part of the narrative when Albert Pujols left the Angels and one of the reasons where why they cut him was because they claimed that Pujols was not happy that he was not playing every day and that he basically said, hey, I should be in the lineup every day. Um. Pujols gave an interview yesterday uh, and said that he was actually surprised at the number of at-bats that he had gotten to that point of the season. 
that he was actually pleased that he had played as much as he had. He understands that at this point in his career and with some of the young players that the Angels have, that he wasn't going to play every day, and he was pleasantly surprised how much he had played. So somebody's not telling the truth here. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. The Angels did what they did. But if I've got to put uh, money on anybody telling me the truth, I'm, I think it's Albert Pujols. Uh, and, and if Albert Pujols, you know, he came to the Dodgers and basically said, hey, look, I'll take a part-time role. I'm fine with that. That's great. You know? Uh, so if he's going to come to the Dodgers and say that, why wouldn't he do the same thing with the Angels? So uh, to me, I think the Angels are just trying, we're trying to spin this and make it make it out that Albert was kind of a bad guy in the whole thing, and um, that's not sitting. That didn't sit well with a lot of Angel fans. So uh, anyway, but Pujols gets the start. He, matter of fact, he batted cleanup last night. So, but he delivers with the RBI. So good for him. His old team, the Angels, uh, they win last night thanks to a uh, big home run by Jose, uh, Shohei Otani. Otani is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, as part of a five-run second inning, Otani hit a ball out for his 13th home run that leads the major leagues, and this ball that he hit out was so far out of the strike zone, it, it, it's not funny. The ball was up, and somehow he crushed this thing. I mean, and I don't know whether uh, I don't know whether he's that quick, whether he was looking for the ball up in the strike zone or whatever it is, but this was a ball that should not. <laughs> most guys are not going to hit that out. They're going to swing through it. Uh, so he, uh, he took a Sam Hankus fastball, uh, into the right center field seats. And, uh, this kid's just, he's something else to watch. Um, Patrick Sandoval got the start for the angels. Didn't last long enough to get the win. Tony Watson actually ends up getting the win as he came on in the fifth and uh, struck out the side. Rysel Iglesias picked up his seventh save of the season. And, uh, the Angels build off that big win over the Red Sox on Sunday. They get another win, so they are now at 18-22. and 22. They still find themselves uh, in fourth place, but six games back of the Oakland Athletics in the AL West. But this is the team I picked to win the division. I did. Uh, I thought that the Angels had a chance to win the division. I'm not looking too smart right now, uh, but I still think this team uh, has enough talent to do that. And by the way, in this that part of that whole trade with Albert Pool or the the letting go of Albert Pujols, the guy who has benefited the most is Jared Walsh, a uh, young kid who actually started his career as a pitcher with the Angels, is now playing first base, and uh, he had two more hits last night. He's hitting three forty three, which is fourth in the American League. Uh, since he was named the everyday first baseman when Albert Pujols got cut on May sixth. Since then, he is 14 for 38 with a home run and eight runs batted in. So he is hitting the heck out of the baseball. And, uh, you know, it's part of the reason why the Angels felt they had to do what they had to do. They didn't want to take any at-bats away from Walsh. And I get all that. And I think Albert Pujols got it, too. That's why I'm not buying what the Angels are selling. But uh, Walsh is certainly uh, benefiting from that. Uh, Zach Plesak will take the hill today against the Angels to try to right the ship for the Cleveland Indians. Uh, the Indians find themselves right now uh, three and a half games behind the Chicago White Sox in the AL Central. They have lost four in a row, as I said, and uh, uh, they're playing 500 ball right now after getting off to a pretty good start. Uh, but that's going to be a tough team to catch, that Chicago White Sox team. And a lot of people didn't think the Indians were going to do very well this year. They've probably overachieved. But uh, Zach Plesak, who's 3-3 three and three with a 3-5-6 ERA, will start tonight against uh, Andrew Heaney, who's only allowed two earned runs over his uh, 
last 12 innings at home will get the start for the Angels. I mentioned the Chicago White Sox. The Chicago White Sox uh, absolutely tuned up the Minnesota Twins uh, last night. You know, look, if you are uh, a Twins fan, you've got to be stunned. The White Sox beat them 16-4 to last night. I mean, 16 runs on 18 hits. Uh, Jay Happ got the start for the Twins, didn't get out of the fourth, gave up six runs and seven hits, and it didn't get any better uh, <laughs> when they brought the bullpen in. They just It was so bad that they had to bring Willens Ostadillo, uh, their backup catcher and first baseman, into pitch last night for the second time this season. He ended up giving up a run. Uh, on a home run in the ninth inning. Only one run, so good for him. Dallas Keuchel got the start for the White Sox, uh, allowed three runs and seven hits over seven innings to pick up his third win of the season. But the Twins now 13-26. and And if you are the Twins, again, you know, I've already talked about this, when do you decide you've had enough? To me, I think this team probably has another three weeks. If things haven't turned around by, say, the second week or the first week of June, you're going to see some moves being made by this White Sox team, I mean by this Twins team, and they are going to start selling. And everybody, everybody could be available. Josh Donaldson, Nelson Cruz, uh, you know, they're not, well, they're not going to, I shouldn't say everybody. I mean, there's going to be some guys that are going to be untouchable, but uh, guys like Donaldson and Cruz could be very, very attractive to other teams. And you know what? They might be able to get themselves uh, a pretty good haul in return. Maybe even a guy like Jay Happ. You know, he struggled uh, with Minnesota. He's got an ERA north of five. But, you know, maybe this is a Twins team that decides that, well, we tried spending money bringing in free agents, it ain't working. Maybe we need to go a different direction. But that was an embarrassing loss last night, 16-4 to uh, to the White Sox. Um, the San Diego Padres continue to play well uh, without, uh, without all their stars back in the lineup. Um, still no Fernando Tatis Jr., still uh, no Eric Hosmer. And yet they still continue to win. They are seven and one since they lost all those players to the COVID uh, uh, scare. Uh, they beat the Rockies last night seven to nothing. You Darvish went seven shutout innings, struck out ten, did not walk anybody. Uh, John Gray got roughed up for the uh, uh, for the Rockies and the Padres. Now twenty five and seventeen, they are just a half a game back of the San Francisco Giants. So here come the Padres and. They're doing this without their biggest stars. Uh, that's not good news for the rest of the National League. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some Neil Diamond. We haven't heard Neil in a while. Here's some America. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.